Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message given on Sunday morning, October 15th, 2023 by Tom Job from the book of Romans in chapter 16. Oh, I wanted to read to you guys out of, okay, so this comes out of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to, there was like this really, really growing community of Christians who, um, in the city of Rome, the most important city in the world, and nobody really knew where they came from or how they got organized. And like when Paul wrote to the Philippians, it was people he led to Jesus and he formed them into a community. And, he, and uh, then he left them and wrote them letters. But this was just like this big community of Christians in the most important city in the world. And Nobody knew how they got there. Some people believed that it was people from Rome, Italians, and others who had been in Jerusalem on the day, what they called the Feast of Pentecost, when the Apostle Peter, for the very first time, a month and a half after Jesus rose from the dead, explained why Jesus died in that horrible way and that he was risen from the dead and what it meant for us and what it could do for you. And so, um, and then they opened their heart to Jesus and took it back home and spread it everywhere. So it's, it's just like a super, super important letter because Paul is basically in the letters saying, um, I know you guys know everything and all that, but I just want to make sure you have the basics. So, I mean, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but do you mind if I explain it to you? So the letter to the Romans is Paul's explanation of his basic, of the basic good news of Jesus and how a person can know that they're forgiven of everything they've ever done, do, or will do, and how they can know that they've had a new start and a new heart. And what you have to do to get it. So, but then in chapter 16, there, there were some people he knew there. So he says, he said, he said, say hello to this person, hello to that person. There are 29, there's no other chapter like it in the New Testament. Every once in a while he'll say, say hello to this person or that person. But in this chapter, it's 29 people. The whole chapter almost is people that he's saying hello to. And there are people who are rich, people that are poor, people that are free, people that were in, 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 the, in the Roman Empire slave system and um, enslaved there. There were men, there are women. He says hello to 11, let's see, 18 men and 11 women. Of the men, he commends six of them for their faith and their hard work in the Lord. Of the 11 women, he commends six of them for their hard work and their labor in the Lord. He commends about a third of the men over half of the women. But um, it's just amazing. And there's just, every name is a story of someone who came to know this message in some way. So I wanted to read to you. So this, okay, in verse 11, it says, greet Herodian, my fellow, my fellow Jew. Who's, who was a, a Jewish person like Paul. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Some people think that those, they were twins who were serving Jesus, women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and others, and brothers and sisters with them. Lord, let us help understand what every, oh my goodness, just to think there's so many people with a story to tell us about how they found you and 
how hard it was, but you were there the whole time. Things they had to go through, but look where we are now. I know sometimes people say, why did I have to go through this or why to that? I have to go through that in my life. And I just look at them and say, but look at you. Look at who you are. Look at where you are. Apparently, that was the only road to this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for stories. Thank you for our stories. Help us to understand them in Jesus' name. So um, there are like, okay, so there's like lots of times in, 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 you know, just living your life and everything where you really find out that God is, like, you, you just little moments that just tell you God is right here with me. Like he's in control of everything. He's watching everything. And, and um, it's just kind of obvious today. Like there was a, the, the, I was reading a book by this woman named Helen Vaughn and I, she writes awesome books, but one of she had a friend named Melanie and, and she was talking about when that she had, they had taken a bunch of college, uh, college kids and they were rock climbing, which she had never done and didn't know if he, she really liked it, but it, you know, they had to go up like this 40 feet up this rock, this, like this mountain, rock mountain. And so she's, she was going up it and they were all, um, what do they call it, where they put ropes around you so you don't fall and, you know, whatever. So she was all roped in and she got to the top, finally got to the top. She didn't know if she would make it, but she got to the top. And, but she slipped a little bit and grabbed the rope and then it snapped her in the eye and it knocked her contact out. And this was back in the day when, like, you had a pair of contacts and that was it. And she was like, oh my goodness, we're going to be here all week and I can't find my contact. What am I going to do? I'm going to be half blind all weekend. And she tried to feel around for it and couldn't. And she said, Lord Jesus, I need you to help me find my contact. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so she, find, she made her way up with the hope that maybe it was up in her eyelid or something like that. But she, so she made it to the top and sat down. And they looked and they couldn't find it. It wasn't on her clothes. It wasn't on her face. It wasn't anything like that. So she was just like, and then she thought of a verse that says the eyes of the Lord go, go to and fro. And she said, God, you know where it is on this mountain. I'm never going to find a contact on this rock face of this mountain. But if you, if you, could, if you could do something, Anyway, she sat up there for about 30 minutes, and all of a sudden, there was a girl, a college girl that was down at the bottom of this thing and getting ready to go up, and she just yelled out, has anybody lost a contact? And she said, yes, I lost my contact. And she said, weirdest thing, there's a line of ants coming down this rock thing, and one of them is carrying contact lens. And so she said, she said, uh, well, that's mine. You know, she got it back. And she told her dad about it. He, drove, he drew her a cartoon, and it was the cartoon of this ant carrying this contact. And the ant is kind of thinking in his mind, Lord, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. It's super heavy, and you can't eat it. But whatever you say, that's what I'll do. That, you know, but a lot of times when people come to know Jesus, they'll have a story. The story has various moving parts to it. And, and you look back on your life, and you especially look back on that time of your life when you came to know Jesus, and you can see that God was moving people, and peace, like pieces and on a chessboard, and places, and things were all coming together in a way that you couldn't imagine so that I could come to know Jesus, so that you could come to know Jesus. There was a woman who was talking about her dad, and uh, Let's see, her name was Melanie, and her dad was named Larry. And he, when he got to be older, he just loved Jesus, loved Jesus the older he got. And he loved to go on mission trips, and especially he loved to go to Guyana, which is on the northern coast of South Africa, right beside Venezuela. And he loved to go there, and then he got cancer, and the cancer was kind of everywhere, and he lost a leg. 
and to cancer and it had gone to his lungs and, he had, and they had had to take out one of his lungs so he had one leg and one lung and he had an oxygen tank and he walked with crutches and an oxygen tank strapped to his back and he told his kids, God is telling me to go to Guyana. And they said, no, dad. They, no, they said, no, you can't. You're too, you're too sick. You're too old. I'm not really asking you. Uh, God's telling me to go and I'm going. And he did. He went to Guyana on crutches with an oxygen tank on his back with all these people from his church. But anyway, and it was, they were amazed that he went and amazed at what happened. And he came back and it had taken a lot out of him. And in, in about two or three weeks, he came home and died. I, just a happy old man who had done the will of Jesus. And that was it. But she had a friend that moved to a city in Arkansas. And, and her friend had come back. They were really close and had come back. And, uh, and to visit, and they were talking, and, she, and uh, she said, the weirdest thing happened to me, and this, we go to this church, um, and we were having kind of a women's thing, and um, everybody was kind of talking about who they were and where they were from, and there was a woman, and I could tell she was a Latino woman, you could tell by her, her accent. And, but she was in, everybody was introducing themselves, and she said that her parents had, she had grown up in Guyana, and her parents had been Christians for a long time, but she never cared about it until one day these missionaries came, and there was an old man, and he had one leg and an oxygen tank, and he came to talk to us about Jesus. And I thought, if you would go that far like that, this must be an important message. And I listened to it. And I accepted Jesus. Um, so there's just stories um, that God is moving. Like all of these people, in Acts chapter 16, they all have a story that they're going to tell us one day. And none of their stories are going to start out, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Sunday school in VBS. There's none of that. It was too soon for that. Everybody was just accepting Jesus from nothing. And God was moving all the pieces and all the people. Do you know what I mean? And they looked back on their life and say, it's amazing that I was here at this place at this time when this person was talking about this thing. I never would have gone to heaven if those things hadn't been true. So I've got a buddy, I've got a friend, um, so one night, um, I mean, I've, I've told you all this stuff a million times, but when, when we lived overseas, when we lived in Italy, we were in the city of Milano. And the Italy at that time, in the late 80s and 90s, they used to say the number of people who really knew Jesus as their savior, like people who really were born again Christians was 0.04%. So it's four out of 10,000. It's about as low as anywhere in the world. And so we were going to go and like start a church or whatever. And we worked with two other couples and they had been trained in how to share the message of Jesus, like out on the street in a way that people will listen to it, like just kind of preach on the street. But you use a big sketchboard and it's kind of like a street artist. And you get people to listen. And I said, well, I really don't believe in that. I, I mean, I believe you have to earn the right to be heard and um, you need to build a bridge. And they said, well, you'll get over that. So but, um, so, but anyway, I thought, so what they would do is we would get this sketchboard Board, and we would set it up in, diff in different places in the city, and you start to draw on it. And maybe you get three, four, five, seven people kind of standing around. And then you turn at a certain point, and you start to tell them a few jokes, and then give them basically what 
many people know as a Young Life talk, a story about Jesus and something that he did, but then you would get to the middle of it and you would, and, and you would say, and that's why your life is completely screwed up because we were made to know and love God, but we're separated from him. That's why Jesus came. Jesus was almighty God who became a human being to live a perfect life. We've never followed that example, but he came primarily to pay when he died in that horrible way. And he rose from the dead and he offers to whoever wants it a complete forgiveness of everything you've ever done, do, or will do. A, a new heart and a new start. And it's free. It's a gift. You just have to take it. You have to need it. You have to want it. And you have to take it. And that little group of eight people would turn into 20, 40, 80, 120. Sometimes it was 200 people standing around that sketchboard in complete silence like they paid you $30 to hear what you had to say. It was unbelievable, and we'd give them a little booklet, whoever wanted one, and talk to them, and we wound up starting three churches that way, and um, we'd mostly do it in front of the Cathedral of Milan in, um, on Wednesday afternoons and like Friday nights, about like between nine o'clock and midnight, and we'd go to other places. But you know, you'd be out there at 11 o'clock at night. We would be right in front of the Cathedral of Milan, like right in front of it. That's where we would go. And you could get the biggest crowds out there and people just listening to you. And it was so awesome. But, and so we did that for a few years. We wound up starting three churches that way of people coming to know Jesus, just like right on the street. But there was a, um, we only got stopped two times by the cops in all the times, all the, you know, those years that we were doing that. And one time it was because we had gone to a conference in outside of Naples in a little little town, and um, and my guy, the Dave who worked with me was tell, we're telling all these church planners, hey, this is what we're doing. We're preaching on the street. People are really really listening to it. And they said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that in postmodern Europe. People won't listen to that. You have to learn earn the right to be heard. And Dave said, okay, I tell you what, I'm going to take my sketchboard and at 6:30 I'm going to be out in front of this hotel in that square right there and I'm going to give a message. Come see what happens. So they came to see what happens. He started drawing on the board, doing a message. The crowd got so big, it filled the entire square and went out into the street. Traffic couldn't circulate around that part, and the cops had to stop us. But, but the only other time we ever got stopped was, it was a Wednesday night. It was about quarter to 10. And we were in the front of the Cathedral of Milano. We had a really, really good crowd. And Dave was giving, giving the message, telling people about a love that you don't have to earn. Just it's completely and totally unconditional. And someone who loves you just as you are and who died and rose again to give you a new life. And the cops stopped us. And they said, I don't think you can do that here. And we were going to show them Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. It's like, we do have authorization to do that. But, but he said, I tell you what, why don't you all just move around? We had never done this. But he said, move around to the side of the cathedral. Go down that road. And that way, it won't really bother anybody. And it's just like, we're not bothering anyone. We're telling them about Jesus. But anyway, so we did. That night, we went down that road. And Dave just he started his message over again. And there was a young man who was passing through. He was from Palermo, Sicily. He was going down that road. He wasn't going in front of the key. He was going down that road. And he had come to Milan to work in the fashion design industry. His name was Antonio. And he was very, very gifted. Milan's kind of the fashion capital of the world. We used to have a lot of American models that would go to um, come to Milan to begin their modeling career. One time, oh gosh, what was her name? Charlize Theron. I saw her on a commercial. I told Tina, I know that girl. 
And it turned out when she was a model, she was in Milan and she came to the English language church with her mother. And I thought, yeah, she didn't stay long and maybe she should have stayed a little longer than she did. But, uh, but anyway, so and one, there was an American, there were a lot of Ameri one American guy and he had just really come to know the Lord and he was going to the English language church and come to our Italian church. And then, he, and then about a week later, he was on every other billboard in Milan in an underwear commercial lying on his side with his elbow in his tidy whities And I thought, well, that's a really good testimony right there. But, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, on, but so this Antonio had just quit the fashion design business because he, he, it was, he was so disappointed in it. He thought it was just talent and there's a lot of politics and stuff and he had quit it and he was brokenhearted and he was walking down that street about a quarter to 10, saw a group of people, stopped and listened to a love of someone who loves you and doesn't want anything but to love you and give you a new heart and a new start. And he accepted Jesus Christ that night. And he started coming to our Bible study. The first night he came, he went around, asked everybody their zodiac sign. Anyway, he started to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. He's led more people to Jesus than almost anybody I know. And uh, he spent four years in Bible school in Jerusalem. He reads Greek and reads and speaks Hebrew. And he started an international business of his own, but all he's done is lead people to Jesus. And if, he hadn't been, if, we, if we hadn't been moved by the cops, there are a lot of people who wouldn't be going to heaven today. Um, and so he has cancer. And I want you all to be a part of this story. Um, he's starting his treatments tomorrow. I'm gonna call him, okay, I'm gonna call him. And when, okay, so this is what I want you to say. When I give you the signal, say, ciao Antonio, as loud as you can, okay? That's how you say it, ciao Antonio. Let's practice that. Ciao, Antonio. Louder. Ciao. Okay. The next one goes, ti vogliamo bene. Ti vogliamo bene. This is going to be so awesome. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. You ready? You got to say it. And you got to say it loud. This is going to be a long, this is going to be like a long thing that he's going to go through when he really starts tomorrow. Come on, dude. Buongiorno. Buongiorno, Antonio. Come va? Tutto bene? Senti, io ti devo dire una cosa. Noi siamo qui nel culto della chiesa. In questo momento. Ciao! L'hai sentito, l'hai sentito! Senti, noi vogliamo pregare per te, va bene? Preghiamo per te. Ok. Lord God, we do thank you for my brother. We thank you for Antonio. We thank you for how you've used him. Give him courage and strength as he begins this journey. Fill him with faith and with peace. Signore, ti preghiamo per il nostro fratello Antonio, che lui possa sentire la pace di Gesù in ogni secondo, che il medico sia saggio, che sappia che cosa fare, però soprattutto che abbia sempre pace in questo, in ogni momento che lo usi a condurre delle persone a Gesù, anche all'ospedale, nel nome di Jesus. Amen. Amen. That was awesome. Okay. Ciao, ci sentiamo domani. Scusa. Yeah. Mi sentono tutta la chiesa, mi sente? Eh? Sì, sì, sì. Okay. I want to say 
uh, I want to say one one important thing for me. Thank you for your prayer and thank you for everything. Ciao, ciao, ci sentiamo dopo. Un abbraccio. Un abbraccio a te. Thank you. That was sweet. Okay, so here's a story. This is another story. It kind of comes from Max chapter 16. So there's a guy in um, Mark, Matthew talks about him. And Mark talks about him. And Luke talks about him. But it's a, it was a guy named Simon. And he was African. He was from the country of Cyrene. And he was, uh, we don't really know how, but he was Jewish. He, whether he had converted to the God of Israel, we don't really know. And his wife and his kids. But everybody who had, who had become Jewish, who lived in foreign countries, had a dream. And the dream was to go to Jerusalem once in their life for the Passover, just to, like a pilgrimage. Normally, they would stay a month and a half until the, the next festival of Pentecost. It was kind of like from Thanksgiving to New Year's. It was like the holiday season. And it was a dream. And for Simon, for Simon, this Cyrenian African and his wife and his kids, This was the year of their dream. And they had come to Jerusalem. They had bought new holiday clothes for it. It was like, it was, it was a dream they had. It was plans that they had made. It was a holiday that they had always wanted. And they had gotten there. Sometimes the city of Jerusalem during that period went from 50,000 to 500,000 people. And he was one of them. And they were in the city and they were walking around the city and they were looking at the sites. It's kind of like when people go to Pisa. Like first time we went to Pisa, and there was like the leaning tower of Pisa. And you look at it and you're like, dang, it does. And they, but, um, <laughs> the, the, but, um, Anyway, they were there, and, they, and uh, they were in the city. They were looking at everything, and all of a sudden, it seemed like there was a, I don't know, like a parade or something coming down the street, and people were screaming and yelling, and the streets were filled, and he wanted to find out about it. He probably said to his wife and kids, y'all wait right here. I'm going to check this out, and he looked inside, and it wasn't really a parade. They weren't, there were three people walking down the street, and they had been, they had been horribly treated that there was one who if they had had it it would have looked like he had been in a car accident and they were carrying 100 pound beams of wood and they were struggling to do it and he's like what is this I don't understand it they're not cheering they're they're jeering at them they're not throwing flowers they're spitting at them and I don't know what happened but he got too close and a hand grabbed him and pulled him into the street because one of the person couldn't carry their beam anymore and they put it on his back on my back on his back And all of a sudden, this beam is ripping his clothes, his new holiday clothes. And the blood of this person was on his new holiday clothes. And the screams were ringing in his ears. And the spit was landing in his, on his back and in his hair. And all of this. And he had to carry this beam. And he was thinking, this is not the, this is not the dream I had. These are not the plans we made. This is not the holiday I wanted. I'm not having the holiday I wanted. But they made him do it. And he had to carry it. We don't know if it was 400 yards. It could have been a kilometer. Some scholars think that where, where he had to carry it was up to two kilometers away, which is about a mile and a half. And he's like, why are we carrying construction materials so close to the Sabbath, so close 
to the Passover day. And when they got to the place where they were going to go, he saw that there was a post on the ground. They were carrying the beams. There were nails. There were hammers. And it's like, why are they forcing these people to do construction work? And then they did something that, they, that he hadn't even imagined what happened. They took the human beings and they stripped them naked and they threw them on the wood and they nailed the human beings to the wood. And he's like, I didn't want to see this. I, I can't unsee this. This is not the dream I had. This is, these are not the plans we made. This is not the holiday I wanted. I didn't want to see this. And we don't really know what he did, what Simon did. If he had carried that 400, 400 meters or two kilometers, he must have been exhausted. And we don't know whether he just stayed there on the ground so tired and whether he listened to when they nailed the human beings to the wood and hoisted those posts into the ground and two of the people were screaming and they were cursing and one of them wasn't. One of them was saying, Luke said he was saying over and over again, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. And whether he heard that and just like, how could he be saying that? And other people were walking by and saying, he saved other people, but he's not saving himself. He saved other people. Above his head, he read where it said, the king of the Jews. It didn't say he said he was the king of the Jews. He claimed to be the, it said the king of the Jews. The Roman governor had insisted that it say, this is the king of the Jews. Is this the, and then one of the other people that was nailed beside him, he had like in a moment of like illumination where all of a sudden he stopped cussing and he just, he listened, he, it's like, this is the king of the Jews. He saved other people. He's offering forgiveness to others. Could he be offering it to me? And he, a dying man turned to a dying man and said, would you save me? And Jesus said, you'll be with me in heaven today. We don't know what Simon did. We don't know what this African Cyrenian did. But it could be that he was sitting there saying, I'd like that. Could you save me? We just don't know. What we do know is that normally when people came to Jerusalem for their, for their, um, the Passover, they would stay for a month and a half till Pentecost. And so I'm sure Simon and his wife and his kids, they tried to forget this traumatic thing that he had experienced anyway and get over the PTSD of all of it and try to have a holiday. And one morning, it was on the Feast of Pentecost in the city, they heard something like a wind blowing. It wasn't blowing, it was whistling. It was calling them. It was calling them to a place where people were so happy. He had never seen people as happy as this. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. And Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, was standing up and saying, I want to explain to you what you all know happened. Some of you saw it that Jesus was almighty God who became a human being. And he was tortured in that horrible way and died in that horrible way. 
by horrible hands, but it was a plan. It was a plan. It was the eternal plan of his father that he would be sent to pay for all of the mess that we've made and all of the wrong that we've done. And he paid for all of it and he rose from the dead. And there are people here who saw him. There's over 500 people here who saw him risen from the dead. You could ask them. A lot of them are standing. You can ask them that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And he rose from the dead to offer you a new start and a new heart, a complete forgiveness of everything you've ever done, do, or will do. And it's a gift. All you have to do is say, I need this. I want it. I'll take it. Was Simon in that crowd with his family? We don't know. We don't know. We do know from Acts chapter 2 that there were people there from Mesopotamia, from Cappadocia, from Pontus and Pomphylia and Greece and Italy and Rome and Africa, from Egypt and Libya, and it specifically says Cyrene. Was my guy there? Was Simon there? Did he get a new life? Did he get a new heart? Did he get a new start? We don't really know. He had gone through a horrible experience. But could that have been just the first step on the way to a whole new life? We don't know. We do know that all of those people who opened their heart to Jesus that day, this became their family. And they never really intended to go home. They were just going to stay here with their people now and love Jesus together and serve Jesus together. But they got to be so many of them that they became a threat to people in authority and there was a persecution. And they were all driven out of the city of Jerusalem. And it says in Acts chapter 11 that um, as they were driven out, everywhere they would scatter... They would talk to people about Jesus and what they had found and the new heart and the new start they had found in Jesus and how you could have it too. But they only talked to Jewish people because Jesus was their promised Messiah. It never occurred to anyone to talk to anyone who wasn't Jewish about Jesus who died and rose from the dead, except in Acts chapter 11, the first people who ever talked to non-Jewish people about Jesus were followers of Jesus from Cyprus and from the country of Cyrene. Was it my guy? Was Simon just couldn't stop talking about him? Anyway, they all kind of gravitated towards Antioch up in Syria. And that was the beginning of the second, after Jerusalem, the second community of followers of Jesus living in one city together. And it began to grow. And they all knew, even though they had come from different spaces and different places, they were all just one family. It says in Acts chapter 11, people weren't really called Mesopotamians from the kingdom of Mesopotamia. They weren't called Ethiopians from the kingdom of Ethiopia or, or, or Italians from the kingdom of Italy or Cyrenians from the kingdom of, of Cyrene. It says they were first called Christians in Antioch. I've come, they came from a lot of places, but they lived in the kingdom of Jesus. And it says in Acts chapter 13, that community began to grow. 
And it started to get leaders, leaders who had come from everywhere to lead that community. One of them had lived in Turkey. He'd grown up in Jerusalem, but he was born in Turkey. His name, his Jewish name was Saul. His Roman name was Paul. And another one was a guy from Cyprus. And his name was Barnabas. And there was another guy named Manane, who some people believe was a foster brother to Herod, who killed John the Baptist. But he had come to know Jesus. And two of the other leaders, one was a guy named Lucius, who was, it specifically says, he was Cyrenian. And another was a guy named Simon. And it specifically says, he was black. He was an African. Is that my guy? I don't know. We don't know. I hope so. It could be. Because God has a way. When he's bringing people into their kingdom, no matter what they go through, to move people around and to move pieces around. And sometimes they have to go through things that are difficult to bring him to himself. And when they tell their story, you're like, I can't believe he did that. It's the most amazing story I've ever heard. We all have stories. Some of us have great stories to tell. You know, Antonio, the, there was a girl who lived in his apartment building. He came into our church and everything. And this girl lived in our apartment building, and her name was Giovanna. And she was, she was, she was kind of um, reclusive. She was a single woman, and she was kind of uh, maybe 40 or so. But she had, was always filled with fears and anxieties. And he got to be friends with her. And he would talk to her all the time about Jesus. And she started to come to our church. And she accepted Jesus because of her friendship with him and because of what, um, just the way people loved her and the life that she saw there. And, and she started to get kind of freedom from her fears, just walking with Jesus and coming to know him. And when she would smile, it was like the sun came out. And she got to be where she wasn't afraid all the time of everything. And she was overcoming her anxieties and her social fears. And she was getting out. And she started to think about other people that needed Jesus. And she had a friend who lived in an apartment down about four apartment buildings down from where she lived. And she, one day in church, she said, I need you all to pray. I'm going to go to my friend's house for lunch. I'm going to get lunch and take it there. And I'm going to tell her how Jesus has changed my life. I want the opportunity to tell him how I'm not afraid like I used to be. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm a different person. And so we all prayed for her. So she went and got the food. And what you do, like you go to an apartment building and there's a big door and you hit what they call a chitofono. It's like a buzzer. And it buzzes at the person. And you, they'll say, yeah, who is it? And say, Son it's a sonoto. So then they opened the door for you so you can go in. And so she was standing there with her arms full of groceries and she had her purse on her back and she was getting ready to do the, bu to the buzzer and she could feel a person behind her and he had a knife to her throat. And he said, where's your purse? And she said, my purse is right. I mean, my wallet is in my purse. It's in that first pocket. And he just reached in and got it and ran away. And she stand there thinking, I'm not afraid. I wasn't afraid. 
I was just robbed by a guy, guy with a knife, and because of Jesus, I'm not afraid. I was asking for an opportunity to share with her how I'm not afraid. And she buzzed it. She went up and she said, I just got robbed with a knife. I'm not afraid. Jesus has changed my life. It's just amazing the way he moves people and places to get people into his kingdom. So we don't really know what happened to Simon. But in the Gospel of Mark, when it talks about Simon, who carried the wood, the beam, that Jesus could no longer carry, Mark was written to, the Gospel of Mark was written to that same community in Rome, that big community of people who had come to know Jesus and wherever, and uh, so that they could have a gospel of their own. And when Mark tells the story about Simon, who carried the cross of Jesus, in verse 21 of chapter 15, he adds a detail that none of the other ones do. It said, Simon of Cyrene, who is the father of Alexander and Rufus. And it's like, who cares? Who cares what his kids' names are? Unless they knew them. Unless the people in Rome, unless this community in Rome knew them. In the late 1950s, they found a Cyrenian Christian grave in a Cyrenian African Christian cemetery on the hills of Jerusalem in the Kidron Valley. And it said, Alexander, son of Simon. When Paul wrote his letter to those same people in Rome, in chapter 16, he's saying, say hello to people, the same one that had the gospel about Simon the Cyrenian, the son of the father of Rufus. In verse 13 of chapter 16, Paul says, say hello to Rufus. And also to his mother, because she has been a mother to me. Wow. Could it be Simon's wife? Maybe he was in heaven by then. And Simon's wife came to know Jesus. She was a mother to Paul. Simon's son was a brother to him. Lord God, thank you. All of us, all of us probably have people on our heart that we hope come to know Jesus someday. You are the one who moves people in pieces, puts them in places. Make it happen for them as well. Thank you for everything that happened to us. Thank you for every heartbreak. Thank you for every painful thing. Thank you for every person that you brought into our life. So that, you, so that we, and we look back and we think, how was that possible that that happened in that way? So that we, so that we could come to know Jesus as our Savior. You were super determined to have us, and we thank you. When life seems to roll like a storm out of control, there is so much I don't know that is in your plan. You named every star, and you placed them where they are. Every beat of every heart is within.
what's best that you were in.